Good morning. I can't remember if I shared this story with you all before, um, but I'm guessing half of you are um, at least my age or older, so you probably won't remember either, so it probably doesn't matter. Uh, but it's a story from Kissinger. Uh, Henry Kissinger one time had a young assistant who just came on to work for him, a, a guy, kind of green guy, starting out new, and he gave him an assignment. He said, I want you to research this topic, and I want you to come back and bring me a full you know, full comprehensive report talking about what, I, what we need to do to address this topic. So the young guy sets out, and he's pretty excited to do this, and he goes and he, and he researches the topic, and he spends a lot of time on this report and, and really pours into it because, you know, he wants to impress Dr. Kissinger. So he, he goes out, and he puts this thing together. He brings it in, and he, he, he walks into Kissinger's office and says, here's my report, sir, and Kissinger says, put it on the table. And he, so he puts it on the table, and he dismisses him. A couple days go by, and he doesn't hear anything, so he figures he's going to go check on it. Um, goes into Dr. Kissinger's office and says, Sir, I was wondering if you had any questions on the report. You know, I gave it to you a couple of days ago. You know, any thoughts? And, and Dr. Kissinger just looks him up and looks him right in the eye and says, Is this the best you can do? Well, and now he's, he's like, well, I mean, how do you answer that question, right? So he says, uh, no, no, well, I'll tell you what, let me, let me take another look at it. Let me just see if there's some refining I can do. So he takes it back, and he refines it, and, and he goes through it. And sure enough, you know, he finds a few things he may have missed. He finds, a, you know, another point he could have drawn out and maybe a few typos. Fixes it up, comes back, put, gives it to Dr. Kissinger, and uh, put, puts it on his desk, and he dismisses him and said, again, uh, a couple days go by, he goes back again, and he says, oh, sir, I wanted to see if you had any thoughts or questions on the report. And Kissinger looks him right in the eye and says, is this the best you can do? Well, now he's just like, well, I, <laughs> I guess I'll take one more look at it. You know, he takes it back, goes through it, you know, again, really carefully, reads over a lot of time on this report, really just trying to work it, and uh, finds a few little things here and there, but mostly he's just tweaking stuff around, goes back, puts it on his desk. We go through the cycle again, comes back a third time, uh, and says, Dr. Kissinger, here's the report. Uh, I don't... Um, do you have any questions? And Kissinger looks at him and says, is this the best you can do? And he goes around one more cycle. But this time he looks at it and he reads it and he's gone through the whole thing and he's just like, I can't find anything. So he brings it back. You know, he makes a few cosmetic changes in it just because he needed something a little different. Brings it back, puts it on his desk, comes back two days later and Dr. Kissinger once looks up at him and he says, is this the best you can do? And the guy says, you know what? Yes, I'm done. I'm clearly, uh, this job's not meant for me. I'm not capable of doing this. I don't even know why you have this, me in here. I don't know why you hired me. This is ridiculous. This is the best I can do. I'm sorry. It's just all I got, everything I got. And Dr. Kissinger looks at him and says, good, I'll read it now. <laughs> um, you know, today we're talking uh, from the master plan of evangelism about how we demonstrate the gospel in our lives uh, and how we make sure that our, our walk fits our talk, right? This is the chapter uh, on that. And in the area of discipleship, it's a key. It's key that we do this. Jonathan Edwards once said, Godliness is more easily feigned in words than action. And, and I think that's true. Uh, but when it comes to walking the walk, um, I, I think we need to take stock of how we do it because we might tend to adopt the Kissinger model. Uh, when it comes to demonstrating the gospel in our lives, uh, do we sometimes find that we, we keep sending ourselves back to try again and again and again 
to come up with this better version that, that more closely looks like Jesus. Um, uh, and so we kind of put these, these performance standards on ourselves. And, and the problem is, is that when you're trying to set a performance standard that's based on Jesus, you're not going to measure up, right? Because he's perfect, and, and we're not. Um, so, so what I want to maybe suggest as we start today is that we, we look at a different way of looking at it, our lives, and how we are, how we are to disciple people and, and, and to, to evidence, to demonstrate the gospel in our discipling and in our lives. Um, and I want to move away from just focusing on a bunch of negatives on don't do this and don't do that so that you're walking in the perfect light. Um, Another way to look at it is to, to say, let's move beyond trying to match who Jesus is, who he is through how we behave. Uh, the problem with that is, um, at best, you're going to fall short and get discouraged. Fool yourself that you're actually meeting the standard, and then you're going to seek to impose it on others. And um, we don't want to end up uh, in the company of those sinners that Jesus never tolerated. He could find no tolerance for hypocritical Pharisees. Uh, Matthew 23, 4 reminds us, how they uh, tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much of a finger. So we, don't, we definitely don't want to do that. We know that much. So what I want to focus on is not trying to match Jesus' unattainable divine attributes, but accept the model that he presented to us, um, which are some things that we all can do. Jesus didn't heap things on his disciples that were unattainable. He showed them very practical ways of living out the gospel in his life. So that's what we're going to look at today. So uh, next slide. And the first thing Jesus did, uh, it's talked about here in, in Coleman's book, uh, is he used prayer. Considering how he told his disciples how to live, uh, Coleman says here, um, he really leaned into his prayer life. Surely it was no accident that Jesus often let his disciples see him conversing with the Father. They could see the strength in which it gave to his life, and though they could not understand fully what it was all about, they must have realized that this was part of his secret life. It was more, um, it was more than just a model that Jesus gave for prayer. Uh, what he did, when you think about it, when you think of him praying in the Garden of, in Gethsemane, for instance, um, what he did was, was demonstrate how deeply he relied on prayer, on communicating with the Father. Uh, and that's what I want to see in my life, and that's what I want to see in your lives. Um, when, when we say, let's pray, do we pray earnestly, deeply? Um, do we hand it all over to Jesus? He says, uh, Jesus tells us that, therefore, I say to you, all things which you ask, you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Believe that you have received them. People need to see that from us, from you and from me when we pray, especially people we're discipling and people we're walking with. They need to see that we rely on it, and they need to see that we have such deep faith in God that we're asking with expectations that he is going to deliver because he always does. He always does. So there's no less than 25 accounts. Can you uh, advance the slide? And I know that's hard to read, but I also put them on your sheet. There's no less than 25 accounts of Jesus praying in the Gospels. And most of these are, are detailed and reflect his, his deep conviction uh, 
that God, the Father, was listening intently. Um, so I've given you those. You know, if you have a moment, read through some of them. Look at how um, it's a great, obvious example for us. It is the example for us. So I share that with you. Uh, can you go to the next slide? Um, the next thing, Jesus used Scripture. Coleman uh, notes here that Jesus frequently and consistently drew on Scripture in his ministry, and he states uh, that this was evident both in maintaining his own personal devotion and in winning others to the way. Although there are at least 66 references to the Old Testament in his dialogue, I mean, altogether, there are at least 66 references to the Old Testament in his dialogues uh, with the disciples in the four Gospels, to say nothing more than uh, 90 allusions to it in speaking uh, with others. Now, I, I, I'll, I'll just throw it out there. It sort of begs a question. I mean, Jesus is Lord. Why does the Lord need to rely on sacred writings about himself? I mean, he's God, after all. Um, I think there's, a, there's probably several reasons for that. I'll just throw out a few, including that the Holy Scriptures uh, that every Jew would have relied on were a revelation of him. They tell his story. Um, in addition, uh, those writings are his writings. They're the word of God, as 1 Timothy 3.16 3, tells us. So, so uh, it's pretty important that we know them. The revelation of God as given to us. It's a gift. Um, and Jesus was faith, faithful to show his disciples the critical importance of knowing and being guided by the word of God. Indeed, that in the absence of of his incarnate presence, where we are today, this word would be the path to revelation that leads to faith, which leads to salvation, right? He's showing them, these are my words, and these are the words I leave with you, and you are to teach them to your children, to your disciples, and so forth. Okay, so it's obvious, but I just, it's, it's okay. It's okay to state the obvious. We gotta be faithful. Gotta be faithful to this book, Okay? No other one. Okay? Including this one, not this one either. This book as the center of our study and our life and our discipleship. Now, the last thing I want to touch on here, and I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, uh, it actually isn't something that Coleman overtly talks about in the book, but to me, it's just, it's too, um, it's too critical not to look at. Um, it's too critical to the life of, of disciple makers not to consider. Um, so uh, I want you, to, if you would, open your, your, your Bibles. It's, we're going to look at um, Mark chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 35 to 45. And you can go ahead and... So look, look at this with me. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll read it here. Okay. Uh, James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized by the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We're able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. 
Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. For whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, as we look at these verses, uh, the first thing um, we notice, right, about James and John is um, they clearly don't get what's going on, right? Uh, Jesus just finished telling them that he was going to die and be raised again, and they sort of skip over that part. Um, they're instantly focused on the kingdom. They're instantly focused on securing their place, their position in the kingdom, their position of power. Forget about climbing the ladder. They want to get on the nonstop elevator, right? Um, even in the midst of this arrogance, though, notice that Jesus doesn't stop t- teaching. He doesn't get frustrated. He says to them, you don't know what you're asking, which seems obvious. Um, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? Uh, James and John, they don't seem to get the metaphor, which is interesting because drink the cup I drink. um, It's a Jewish expression that means to share in someone else's fate, right? Uh, and, And moreover, in the Old Testament, the cup of wine is commonly used as a metaphor for the wrath of God. I, I put a few verses up there, Psalm 75, 8, and Isaiah 51, 17 through 23. Um, it's the wrath of God against humanity. So here again, Jesus is forecasting the wrath he will face as the payment of sin for humanity. So how do James and John respond to this? Yeah, we can. We got this. No problem. Um, Again, I think this is still a bit of target fixation for these guys. Uh, I I think they see the kingdom, and they don't see anything else. Um, And all they want to do is make sure that they got their place in it. And Jesus assures them, right, that they will drink from the cup. And we know, the case of John, Acts Acts 12, tells us, I mean, uh, James, that he dies at the sword under the order of Herod. John ends up on Patmos, some deserted island, and eventually um, nobody knows exactly how He died. There's not a record of it, but probably from old age. But in any event, they drink from the cup. They will. But at this point, they don't see it. Um, But now why don't you notice what Jesus says next? He he forecasts for them uh, where he's taking this in this this next... um, He says in the next verse, But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, for it is those for whom it has been prepared. Uh, Can you advance the slide? Yeah, thank you. Um, okay, so notice here, Jesus is not following orders here from somebody who is in a higher authority than, than he is. This isn't, this isn't following orders based on a rank, okay? The three members in nature, equal in glory, distinct in relations, okay? That's what the Athanasian Creed and, and, and several other creeds t- teach us. That's what we know about the truth of our Trinitarian Father, our Trinitarian God. Um, so here Jesus, is. what's he doing here then? He's clearly, he's, he's deferring to another, to, to this pre-established plan. But as with all respects, in that perfect divine relationship in the Trinity, which is our model, okay, I'm not saying we can attain it, but it's our model. 
in that perfect divine relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he's deferring voluntarily and out of respect. In other words, there's no pulling rank in the Godhead. That's the love between the members of the Godhead. And I think it's important for those of us who seek to, to conform to the image of, 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 of the Son, as Marty talked about so well this weekend on uh, Romans 8, 29, and, and to be returned to that unblemished image of God, the way he originally had it in Genesis, the way we will be one day um, when we are glorified. So, um, so the, it's important that we get this, but, but it's pretty clear that the, these guys don't get it. Um, reading on, we find that not only are James and John completely out to lunch on this, so are the rest. Though we don't know it from the text, uh, it's pretty safe to say that the other ten were not indignant because they were so God missed the message about Jesus, right? Um, they're indignant because they wanted those seats too. Um, and, and in fact, we know this based on Jesus' response. If we can go to the next slide. Uh, Jesus begins with it here with, in his response. He begins with reference to the Gentiles. And again, this is interesting to me um, because in Matthew 23, we hear pretty much the same message that we're going to hear here, only there it's made in reference to the Pharisees. Uh, so if you turn to Matthew 23, 6, 11, or just look up there, um, 6 through 12, there Jesus is directly confronting the Pharisees, and he's addressing a crowd, which would have included Jews, likely. Um, and he notes that they love the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respect the greetings in the marketplaces, and respectful greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by men. Okay? But he warns his followers this Do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father. And who is in heaven? Do not be, and he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Could you go to the next slide? Thank you. Okay, so here, this is interesting. Here Jesus is he's speaking to a crowd. Now we shift to the scene in Mark, and he's talking to the disciples, right? Um, and, and he's called them together. Um, now, he also shifts to a Gentile example. Shifts away from from pointing to the Pharisees, and he says, look at the Gentiles. And he says, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and great men exercise authority over them. So why Gentiles here? Um, a couple of possibilities, I suppose. First of all, comparing them to, uh, to Gentiles would have been a bit of a, a gut punch for Jews, right? Um, I, you, know, it, you know, saying you're acting like a liberal or you're acting like a MAGA supporter or you're acting like a Cowboys fan or you're acting you know, whoever, whoever. I, I get, it's got to come sometime. You knew it was going to come for me. Seriously, whoever offends you, fill in the bank, right? That's one possibility. But I think it could be something else. Um, Jesus knew where the gospel was going and where it was being sent. Uh, these people, the Gentiles, that's where the gospel was going. They needed to see something different. They knew what it was like to be lorded over. They needed to see something different, and that's what the gospel is. They needed to see something new. So here I think Jesus was, was, was showing his disciples how to be different in front of the people that you're going to go serve. Um, and I think that's really important. 
because uh, our world needs to see something different. In each of us, in you, in me, in the people that we're walking with, and the people that we're trying to, to, to help become more conformed to Christ, they need to see something different. The world's hungry for that. So let me wrap up here. If you could go to slide, uh, next slide. Um, but it's not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There, there it is. If we want to experience a demonstration of the gospel, we need to live it, and we need to live it through servanthood and having a servant's heart, just as Jesus did time and again. Um, I, think, I love the mo- one of the most poignant examples is in John 13, right? What does Jesus do in John 13? He washes the feet of his disciples. And after he finishes washing the feet of his disciples, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then I, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have made for you an example that you should also do as I did. It's John 13, 13 through 15. Probably a pretty good memory verse for us to learn, certainly for me. But it goes further. Jesus went a lot further than washing feet. He went all the way to the cross, the extreme of God's humbling himself and serving the absolute least, which, by the way, is you and me, meant this, stepping out of eternity and into incarnation, kneeling to wash feet, facing constant ridicule, constant torment, torture, giving himself over to be brutally murdered on a cross, and then prancelant ungrateful within his own creation who turned on him. Then dying, and the best of all, something that if Jesus is in you and you have accepted him, you will do. He rose again. That was the ultimate demonstration. That's the ultimate demonstration we want for all of our lives. But it's got to start somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. So I'm going to get practical for the last minute here. Um, uh, and I will be landing the plane before 6.29, I promise. Uh, <laughs> where and when and how are you doing? Uh, it starts uh, in the nearest places of our hearts, okay? Uh, guys, I just want to say it starts, it starts at home. Ephesians 5, through 33 teaches us uh, how to be this demonstrating husband, right? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So my question to you is, what are you going to do today? What are you doing this week to demonstrate to those around you that you have this Christ-like love of your wife? Best place to start for those of you who are married. And if you're not married, take this in. Because if you are someday, this is, this is what you need to do. Um, are you willing, willing to stop pulling rank in your marriage? Are you willing to commit to stop counting costs? Are you willing to say, no matter what, I'm going to love you unconditionally and in love? Ephesians 6 takes it a little further. It says, uh, you know, how do we become demonstrating fathers? So my question is, what are you going to do today to demonstrate to those around you what it means to have a Christ-like father? A father who has that Christ-like love for his children. Are you going to take time to listen before you correct? Are you going to show love? Are you going to demand respect? Are you going to instruct through your actions or your words? And finally, just with this, 
Ephesians 6 also talks about being a demonstrating employee and a demonstrating boss. So um, what are you going to do there? Uh, don't grumble when the assignment seems beneath you, or are you going to gossip about shortcomings or lack of qualifications uh, or the failings of your boss who you shouldn't really be over you anyway, or are you going to demand respect from those under you without thinking twice as to whether you even deserve it? Um, or are you going to stop and see when your secretary or assistant is overwhelmed? Maybe offer to light, type the letter yourself. Um, I guess we don't really use letters anymore. Type the email yourself. Or do your own filing, heaven forbid, or even perhaps bring him or her a cup of coffee. That's servant leadership. Those of you who are high generals, that's servant leadership. Those of you who are lawyers, partners in the office, think of the people uh, who, are, who are below you. So demonstration, as we see, begins with prayer and depends entirely on it. It's firmly grounded in Scripture, but at the end of the day, demonstration demands that you walk the walk. And the walk you walk leads only to one place, and that's the cross of Christ. When you see the cross, you perceive Jesus. And you perceive what Jesus demonstrated. Can't take our eyes off the cross. Uh, when you agree to put yourself on it, that's when you become what Jesus demonstrated. So let me pray, and we'll move on to our questions. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we all woke up this morning to the glory of your creation all around us and the reminder of who you are. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that we all woke up this morning knowing that you came, you served, you demonstrated, and you demonstrated by making yourself less so that we could be made more. Father, help us. Lord Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, fill us. Walk with us and help us to do this in our lives, to demonstrate this love to a world that desperately needs it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the next slide has some discussion questions there. Thank you.